Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Let me say welcome to Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail. Today you are in luck because we are talking about hell. Okay, not so much uh, the thing that, it, this is not the most popular topic in Christianity, but uh, today we're going to hopefully take some hope and joy as a result of knowing what we have been rescued for from as we talk about hell. The church doesn't talk too much about hell. In fact, so much so that we've kind of turned it into a cuss word, right? It's like, we don't want to talk it about it. We'll just label it a cuss word. Let's just get it out of our vocabulary. Let's get it out of our minds. Let's quit talking about it. But today we are talking about hell. When I was a kid, we actually never... Apparently we're singing about hell too. Uh, is that devil went down to Georgia? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell. Uh, when I was a kid, we couldn't even say the word, so we would say H E double hockey sticks. Anybody? Anybody else? Growing up, I grew up in a Christian school. My dad ran Christian schools when I was growing up, and so we would come up with creative ways of saying hell. Like we would type seven seven three four. On our calculators, anybody? Anybody remember that? Yeah, type, type 7734, you flip it upside down, boom, you just cussed. We also figured out you could say other words on your calculator this way, but we are not talking about those today in church. Uh, some of you might be wondering, why, why even talk about hell, right? Like, isn't that just negative? Isn't that just depressing? Why would, why would we want to bring our attention? Can't we just keep our attention here in this world, right? Most of our world does not like the idea of an afterlife. When they talk about heaven, it's like this 24-7 church service, and that sounds boring, and I don't want that. And when we talk about hell, it's like eternal burning in flames, and I don't want to talk about that. So maybe I'll just not believe in it. It, because if you don't believe in something, it doesn't exist. That's how reality works, right? Like if I don't believe that chair exists, then it's just not there. It, it doesn't matter. We'll just put it out of mind. Let's just not think about it. The reality is whether you think about it or whether you believe in it or not, hell exists. Hell is real. It is a literal place. It is a literal reality. We believe that because Jesus believed that. But for those who don't, uh, their strategy is just either I don't want to believe in it or I'll just try to stay alive, right? Good luck with that one. I'm, I'm just going to try to not die. I'll avoid all the dangerous stuff. No more riding motorcycles or going, uh, jumping out of airplanes, right? No more go, going to the ocean, Grant. This week I was talking to Grant and he was talking about, he watch something about some shark attack. And he's like, see, that's why." Do you know Grant's never been to the ocean? Everybody laugh at Grant. Grant has never been. That is a true Wyomingite, like never left the city, uh, never been to the ocean. And he's terrified of it because there are sharks. So for Grant, I did a little bit of research. And here's what I discovered. Uh, you are more likely to die by getting hit in the head with a champagne cork than getting killed by a shark. 
you are more likely to die by a falling coconut than getting eaten by a shark. You are more likely to die as a result of bad handwriting. You ever seen a doctor's handwriting? Doctors make mistakes, people. Uh, have you, or you, you are more likely to die by falling off a toilet than getting killed by a shark. You're like, how does that happen? Well, have you ever seen how most people sit on the toilet? You're looking at Instagram, you lean a little bit, fall off the toilet, hit your head. I don't know. I don't want to go and get any more detail, but it happens. You are not going to avoid death. It is coming. And so you better have a plan for what's going to happen after you die because the reality is we all die. Every minute in our world, 100 people die. Amen? You are dismissed. No. On our way to death, we need a wake-up call. At some point in your life, you need a wake-up call. And I believe there's something intuitive. There's something intrinsic in us that tells us that there is more than this life. But also, we get wake-up calls from other people. But we also get wake-up calls from God himself. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, we believe. And the way God speaks to us is through a lot of little depths. Like on the way to the end of these bodies, on the way to the death of these bodies, God tends to wake us up with a lot of little deaths. It starts off as, as pain that happens in our life that wakes us up and, and begins to make us question our lives and, and the big picture of things. And then God wakes us up with some other deaths. We, we die to ourselves. We die to our sin because the goal for God is to wake us up to the reality that we are much more than just these physical bodies that experience the pain that we experience. And he wakes us up to eternity. The apostle Paul says, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. No longer is sin controlling me and alive to God through Christ Jesus. One death leads to life. We're talking today about hell because we need to have a little bit of fear that can wake us up. Because you know, sometimes fear can be a good thing, right? What keeps you from touching a boiling pot of water? Some healthy fear. If you're going to jump out of an airplane, what causes you to put a parachute on? Some healthy fear. Some fear is a good thing. And if you are going to hell, then you need to feel some fear. Because hopefully that fear will cause you to start asking yourselves some questions. You should be afraid. And to be honest with you, hell terrifies me. To this day, when I think about hell, when I truly allow myself to contemplate the idea of punishment in hell, separation from God, damn, eternal damnation, when I think about that, it terrifies me. And it's not because I'm worried about going there. I am, I am going to heaven. I am absolutely confident, completely positive that I am going to heaven. 
But hell still, still terrifies me because I know people who are not going to heaven. Because I have people that I care about and people that I love that are going to hell. And so if I don't talk about how much, how much hate is there in me, if I don't talk about it, if I avoid it just because it's uncomfortable, there must be a tremendous amount of hate in me if that is who I have become that I am not going to warn people about hell. Because God kind of wakes us up to the reality of heaven with a lot of little deaths, deaths, but Satan kind of takes that tactic and he twists it. And he tries to use that same tactic, but it's with a lie. And what he does is he tempts you with a lot of little fake life on the road to death. A lot of little temptations that seem like life, but they're actually just substitutes for life. We call them sin. that are really enticing. And he tempts us toward himself with these sins. And, and we get these little glimpses or these hits of life that make us think that that is where life eventually is. But eventually those little fake lives lead us to death. Proverbs says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. See, the Satan does not come to us and say, hey, uh, do you want some bondage? Do you want some addiction? Do you, do you want slavery? Do you want a broken marriage? It'll be awesome. Do you want some debt? Do you want children who hate you? This is not how Satan comes to us, right? No, the Satan tempts us with life, not with death, not with pain, but with goodness. The Satan tempts us with life, but what he gives us is death. He says, hey, he just takes one little, one little thing. He's like, hey, do you, do you want to feel good? Here's some drugs. And you're like, you're like, look at that. And you're like, ooh, it kind of looks like a ring. It's pretty. I'll take that. Hey, hey, do you want some sex? Here's adultery. Do you want some pleasure? Here's success. Here's more stuff. Do you want debt? I mean, do you want stuff? Here's some debt. Do you want, do you want to be successful? Here's workaholism. And what ends up happening is as he tempts us with more and more of this life, we end up just chaining ourselves up. We just cause our own pain. We cause our own problems. We end up causing our own death. In fact, one of the devil's primary tactics is not to entice you to hell. It's to convince you that hell doesn't exist. It's not even real. This is how he gets most of our world. Don't worry about that. That's all a bunch of superstition. And it works. Do you know that 73% of Americans believe in heaven, but only 62% of Americans believe in hell? And I look at that, and initially I'm a little bit optimistic. I'm like, okay, there's still a lot of us that believe. But wait a minute. How do 11% of people come to the conclusion there's a hell, but no or heaven, but no hell. The same book that tells us there's a heaven tells us there's a hell. 
The same God that tells us there's a heaven tells us there's a hell. So wh- how do you come to one conclusion or the other? What wh- the reality is what they're doing is they're following their desires, not their logic. They're, they have no foundation for their truth. It's just my truth. And I just believe what I want to believe all the way to hell. Why would you believe one thing that Jesus says, but not another thing? He's either a liar or he's not. Jesus said this, fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than just about anyone. He he like focused on, on the topic. But usually when Jesus was talking about hell, who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to the tax collectors. He wasn't talking to the prostitutes. Usually who Jesus was talking to when he talked about hell was his followers, was his disciples. He's like, listen, guys, you got to believe in this because maybe this will give you a little bit of motivation to make sure that people you should be caring about don't go there. And notice what Jesus said about hell. He did not say that we should fear the Satan. In fact, when he talked about the devil, he goes the other direction. He's like, he's got no power over you. Don't fear the devil. Who should we fear? He says we should fear God. A little bit of healthy fear is a good thing. A little bit of respect of the one who's got the actual power, who's got control, is a good thing. Because the Satan does not have the power to throw you into hell. He can tempt you with a little bit of sin, and he can try to get you to throw yourself in there. But only God has the ability, has the power. Only God is the judge who can determine who goes to hell and who does not. And how does God decide who goes into hell? It's those people who are held accountable for their sin that end up in hell. If you are judged based on your sin, you will go to hell. Your sin is going to hell with or without you. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Revelation says anyone who worships the beast must suffer God's anger. It says they will be tormented day and night with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. But aren't you so glad that the story doesn't end there? Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When you read the word hell in the Bible, you're actually reading a few different words. And this is why a lot of people come to different conclusions when we describe what hell is. 
Some people say that hell is eternal punishment, and so you will be tormented forever and ever with no end. Other people say that hell is a place of punishment. It is a fire that consumes, that burns up, that punishes those who are held accountable for their sins. And a lot of this conclusion, uh, confusion comes because there are different words used in the Bible to describe what hell is. For example, in the Old Testament, when you read about hell, you're usually reading about the word Sheol. And Sheol, for the Old Testament people, was this gray, shadowy existence. And only the wicked people, or the wicked animals even, would go to Sheol. Sheol was not an eternal place. It was just a destination for wicked people. But the reality is, if you read through the Old Testament and stop, you don't get much about the afterlife at all. Most of what we believe about the afterlife is because of what Jesus taught and, the t- and what Jesus' followers taught. A lot of people are tempted to read the rules in the Old Testament and think, okay, they had to follow those rules to get into heaven. Well, that's not the conclusion you get when you read the Old Testament. The goal of following the rules of the Old Testament is not to get to heaven. The goal is to be in relationship with God, is to be on God's good side. That's the goal of good behavior in the Old Testament. And those who do not end up in Sheol. Then we move to the New Testament, and one of the words that we read that describes hell is Gehenna. Well, Gehenna is, it's a Greek word, but it is a literal place. It's, it's a place that if you go to Israel today, you can go to Gehenna. It's a valley. And the reason why they use Gehenna as an imagery, as a metaphor of what hell is, is because in this valley, they would burn trash and they would burn dead bodies in this valley. Nobody wanted to go there. Everything that, go, that goes there is dead It's hot there. It's smelly there. There's always fire burning. It's just a terrible place. So it's kind of like when the Bible describes heaven as pearly gates and golden streets. It's like, listen, you can't comprehend it. But let me just give you the best imagery I've got. You know Gehenna? That horrible place? Yeah, that's just a, a glimpse of what hell is like. In fact, they called the Valley of Gehenna, they called it the land of no more. Now today it's lush and green and I went there not too long ago and it looks quite pretty because, well, we don't burn dead bodies in open air anymore. So we've kind of changed, but this is the Valley of Gehenna. It's a place of no more. What does that mean? It's a place of no more beauty, no more potential. No more hope. No more chances. You go there, you're done. It's one of the reasons why we believe that once you go to hell, once you are judged in eternity, there's no second chance. And this is the imagery that Jesus used when he described hell. Heaven is the presence of God and hell is the absence of the presence of God. Of God. The other New Testament word that we have to describe hell is the word Hades. And Hades is really what we focus more on when we talk about hell in Western culture. 
This is more the afterlife for wicked people that, that we describe today. But here's the truth. We don't understand hell. We can, just like we can't comprehend heaven, we cannot comprehend hell. So to simplify things, we cram all these ideas together and somehow we simplify them to make them one location. But the reality is the storyline of hell is so much bigger than what we think of when we think of hell. It's like what we do with the angels. Like we read about these spiritual beings in the Bible. The Bible gives us at least nine different kinds of spiritual beings. There's the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, and so on. But we like to take all of these different spiritual beings and we cram them together and we just say angels. Why? It's just easier to simplify things that we can't um, understand. That's what we do with hell. There's all kinds of ideas of what hell is and who goes to where and who gets what punishment. It's incredibly complex. We don't have time to discuss all the details of what that looks like, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we accept Hollywood's idea of one place, everybody damned goes there. But what I think one thing that is helpful for us to determine what is hell is to instead ask ourselves the question, what is the purpose of hell? Well, some of this is a little bit hard to hear for us Westerners or anybody. But the first purpose of hell is actually quite fun for us Christians. Maybe not fun, but relieving. The first purpose of hell is to punish the Satan. Now, our culture likes to think of the Satan as this like fun character, you right? the really fun things in life. He, he, he's the one that lets you do those things. Either that or he's Will Ferrell on SNL with a red suit on. No, the Satan is a horrible creature. He is behind everything hard in your life. He is behind every pain, every addiction, Every broken relationship. He is behind your fears. He is behind your shame. He is behind your depression. He hates you. He hates your family. He is the destroyer. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your children. He is the thief. Don't do yourself a disservice and start to, begin, start to think that the fun sins that you experience are a good thing that are a gift from the Satan. He is evil. You are his enemy. He hates you. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And we thank God that hell is a place for God to righteously punish the Satan. John tells us in Revelation, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is one of the ideas when we talk about hell and the punishment that humans 
receive there. We talk about it as eternal torment because Satan is tormented there forever. We kind of also apply that to humans. There's not this, that correlation is not made directly in this passage. But when we think about the Satan being tormented forever, that sounds fair, right? But the next verse does not seem quite as fair to us, especially those of us who have been raised in secular culture, because we have, we have made sin a little bit less important than what Scripture makes sin. In our secular culture, we, we kind of think of sin as something fun, something to be dabbled in. But what is sin? Our word sin comes from the Greek word hamartia, which literally means missing the mark. The idea in scripture is that sin is doing something, anything outside of God's perfect will. Secular culture cannot accept this idea of having to follow God, having to obey God. Secular culture is fine with the idea of there being a God as long as that God does not get in the way of me doing what I want to do. I'm okay with God as long as God gives a little bit of a wink-wink to the sins that I enjoy, right? You do you, boo-boo. Like God's, God's got a your sins are okay mentality. Your sins are not as bad as everybody else's sins. Isn't that funny how we do that? We make our, we justify our sins. And even if we know they're bad, we kind of like to lessen the severity of them. Now the sins that other people deal with, those are the really bad ones. Those people that are tempted to do things that I'm not tempted to do, now those are the really bad sins. And we create a hierarchy of sins. Interesting how our hierarchy of sins never seems to correlate with anything in scripture when it comes to sins. We, we just simplify and justify. The reality is that God's will is a perfect bullseye. The problem is, if you ever sin once, then you miss the bullseye. God's bullseye is perfection. And it doesn't feel fair to us. Because we're free people. I should get to do what I want to do. I should get to follow my truth. But it is absolutely fair. Because in our world, we expect judges to follow the law, right? Now, if it is a good judge, we expect that that judge judged fairly. That guilty people received a guilty verdict and innocent people received an innocent verdict, right? This is what we hope for in judges. It is impossible for God, the judge, to be holy without being just. Because if a judge gives an innocent verdict to a guilty person, that is not a holy judge. That is not a perfect judge. That is a judge who has erred. God, there is no error in God. God is a holy, perfect, and righteous judge. And that means 
that that judge has to judge rightly. Wickedness must be punished. And we know that this is true intuitively. When you watch court TV, you hope that the guilty guy gets a guilty verdict, right? So what's the Christian solution to this problem? It's not that God decided not to judge sin as guilty. It's that he chose to give the punishment for the guilty verdict to his son, to Jesus. The sin was punished. The sin required death. And if you will receive the free gift of God's grace, that punishment can be had by Jesus rather than by you. So the second reason that hell exists is to punish evil. That's more hard to hear. If you die before giving your life to God, you will be judged for your sins. And your sins require death. The punishment for every single little white lie is hell. I don't want to say that. I don't want to preach that. I'd rather ignore the topic. But it's true, so I have to say it. Because we have to wake up. Paul said to the Thessalonians, God will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. What is hell? It is separation from God. It is the worst place you can possibly be, and none of us have ever been there. You may think, I've experienced some hell on earth. You've experienced nothing like it. Right now, God's presence is all around us. Even if we don't acknowledge it, God created all things. God created you in his image. You cannot escape God's presence. But hell is a place where God's presence does not exist. And that's terrifying. Hell is a whole new level of pain. But when he comes on that day, Paul continues, when he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people. Who is the glory coming from? Praise from all who believe. Not praise from all who remove sin from their life. Not praise from all who behave. You don't get on God's good side by sinning less. The way that we praise God is by putting our faith in Jesus to do what we cannot. It's not by being good. Hell is punishment of sin, but sin is only forgivable by Jesus, because only Jesus took the punishment for the sin that you deserved. Paul says, and this includes you. For you believed. 
what we told you about him. Not for you behaved, for you believed. You would assume that the longer you live in this world, the more you think about the next, right? You would assume that if you live in this life for long enough, you recognize that the end has to come eventually, so you would start to think about the afterlife. That is not true about me. I've realized the longer I live in this world, the less I think about the next world. So I have to create a habit in my life of setting my eyes on things above, on thinking about things that are not right in front of me. Because when the Satan tempts me, he usually brings something in this life to me that looks really appealing. He, He brings something physical, something that looks like life, something that looks like fun. And somehow, these rings in this world begin to look appealing. And because I love you, I have to tell you that these rings are not appealing. These rings lead to pain because I believe that eventually the bondage that is brought by this will take you to hell. Because I love you, I have to tell you about it. Because I love you, I have to tell you that hell is real. And it is the consequence of sin in this life. So let's go back to that promise of Paul. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because what's God's gift? The Satan offers death, but Jesus offers life. He offers freedom. He offers, he promises to break the chains. So we can't leave here without the good news. If you are ready today to guarantee that you will not go to hell, to guarantee that you will spend eternity with God in heaven, say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, I choose you. I believe in you. I put my faith in you, not in myself. I know that I'm fallen. I know that I've broken. I know that I screw up. There's somebody here today who has been building a chain for a long time. And you heard all this in Sunday school when you were growing up, but then life happened. And you began to pursue the things that you wanted, the desires that you had, the ideas that you had. But you pursued that path long enough to realize that all it led to was depression, was the pain. You realize that there was no fulfillment at the end of that chain. And you're ready today to follow God's way rather than your own way. To stop denying what you know to be true and to put your faith in Jesus. If that is you, don't put it off. Because you may think you got to wait till your 80s to start thinking that death is soon, but you don't know. So do it today. If you're in the room, there's a card in the chair in front of you that says, I have decided, let us know today, you have decided to put your faith in Jesus, to follow him, to surrender to him. If you're watching online, you can go to yes.church307.com. There's some more information there. You can fill out that form at the top of the page. 
But do not leave this place. Do not stop this conversation for you've had a conversation with God and said yes to him. God, I thank you that you have made a way for us to spend eternity with you, even though we, spent, we, we deserve to spend eternity apart from you. God, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit will draw people to you. Your Holy Spirit will communicate things that I cannot. God, I thank you for your grace, for your calling on our life. In Jesus' name, amen.